Hey there, everyone. It's Tom. Welcome to the Being Church podcast. Just wanted to let you know that we recorded these episodes a while ago, like January, way before Lent, way before the world changed. And so uh, I want you to know that your parish staff and your priests and your deacons and everyone who's working at St. Louis is working overtime to try and make sure that we're still providing pastoral and spiritual support to our parishioners. We love you guys very much. Please uh, know that we're here for you. Let us know if we can help you in any way. And please pray for us as we work and know that we are praying for you together. We can get through this. We can be water in the desert for one another. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome everyone to the Being Church podcast for this, uh, well, it's the fourth week of Lent, but it's our third uh, episode in Lent. I'm Tom. I'm Elisa. And I'm Father Matthew. Uh, again, we're, we're doing these Lenten reflections on these specific gospel stories that uh, make up the story of Holy Week, because Lent is a time to reflect and prepare for Holy Week and Easter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are firmly convicted of that, and that's what we're doing with this time. And as always, uh, you know that on our other parish podcast channel, St. Louis Presents, Father Matthew is engaging these same gospel stories prayerfully and reflectively. So uh, you can add that to your Lenten prayer repertoire if you choose. So today we're talking about um, the trials, Jesus's trials that happen. In the- and there's lots of different conversations that are happening. Jesus talks to a lot of different people. So Padre, can you provide some context? I do, yes. I, this is another one of the elements that happens in Holy Week, and it's always there. Yes. But we're always like, it just gets squashed in, and you, you know, we're on to the next thing immediately, because it's then it's the crucifixion, right? Well, we like, zone out also because it's so long, and we're like, yeah, we know what happens here. But do we? Speak- right. <laughs> so speak through like- the list. You know, <laughs> thank you. Please, feel, speak freely. But then it's boring. <laughs> right. And, yes. Well, this is actually uh, an issue here because the the gospels spend a, quite a bit of time, yeah. and this is a, a climactic moment. It's deeply dramatic moment mm-hmm. and climactic moment, mm-hmm. um, and yet again, we don't have enough time to sort of open it up and let it and let it and let it breathe, right? And or even in our devotions, right? We we do the stations of the cross, and we we focus on each one of the three falls, but right. the entire trial of Jesus is summed up in you know the first station, right? Right. right. So uh, you know, so we don't we don't have this, but the gospels actually take time and they open this mm-hmm. up. Um, so what I really want to focus on uh, is there's uh, there's two like parts to the trial okay. that Jesus has. Because first they, uh, it's the temple, it's the high priest. Mm-hmm. And then after that, then they take him to Pontius Pilate. And that's where the, the second part of the trial goes in. Yeah, so there's I really, a lot of Jesus bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Bouncing around. There's actually even more to it than that, but I, but to keep ourselves on focus, that's, those are the two things that I, I want us to do. Right. So, um, first thing that we want to, you know, remember about this, uh, again, just sort of the like physical, context of what's going on with uh-huh. this. Uh, they're at the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples, they've gone out to the garden, they're praying, you know, Jesus is praying, he's sweating blood, right, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, Judas, the betrayer, mm-hmm. you know, comes and, and indicates, and he's come with a whole group of guards. Now, these are not Roman guards. Oh. 
These are temple guards. I always thought of them as Roman guards. Okay. No, they're not. They're not Roman. <laughs> the guards. Romans don't show up till later, right? Yeah, the Ro- the Romans are not a. So this is a local thing. The Romans haven't even noticed. They, they don't, don't care. care. Yeah. No, they they absolutely do not care at this point. Well, because to them, Jesus is just like another guy, religious with guy, a group that, of people. Yeah, yeah. He's you know he's a religious leader. Whatever. They don't care. It, it, this has not shown up on their radar in in any meaningful way. Um. So. The temple, though, they're the ones who have taken note of this. Hmm. And in fact, John's gospel goes on to say, and John seems to have had some sort of insider information about the high priest. Uh, he must have known somebody who was part of the kind of the, the inner group. Because John is the one who gets him and Peter inside of the gate. So they can sit around the little charcoal fire. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what that? Yeah, because yeah. he knows somebody. He's got an inside somewhere. But anyway. So before the trial begins, we meet, uh, we meet the high priest, um, uh-huh. and it's Caiaphas. Well, actually, and it's, uh, and they, and there's this sort of description of the meeting of Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, mm-hmm. um, which is, see, we have to understand Judaism was not one thing, right? There are a whole bunch of different groups and different subgroups and, and things like that. So, there's the, the the Pharisees and the Herodians and the, this is the Sadducees and the high priest, which is to say the Jerusalem aristocracy. Okay. 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 They're the Jerusalem aristocracy and they are uh, their primary source of power, influence and wealth is because pilgrims come from all over the place and offer sacrifices at the temple. And they, as being the sort of aristocracy running Jerusalem, they pretty much have a monopoly Mm. on this business. So they're the religiously powerful there. Right. Okay. They are, they are the powerful, but they are also basically running the place. Okay. Because they run the temple. This is the high priest, right? Hmm. So when we think of like Annas and Caiaphas, so like Annas is like Caiaphas is actually in charge, but he's actually like the son-in-law mm-hmm. of Annas. And the reason why Caiaphas is in charge is because Annas like handpicked his successor to be his son-in-law. And there's this real kind of like mafioso like mm-hmm. vibe that's going on here that like they've got this racket. And and I think it, it would not be inappropriate to think of a Caiaphas as a sort of, uh, you know, Godfather Corleone sort of character, right? right. Like he's, uh, you know, like, and and, and to put this into context, when they get everybody together, they're like, we got this problem with this Jesus guy here, (laughs) right? So they bring them all together. They say, what are we going to do about him? He's causing all this trouble. Um, Remember, he shuts down the temple. Yeah. Right. That's their money source. Right. That's their power. And I think that Benedict says, like, that's the one thing that kind of, it made it to where they couldn't ignore Jesus anymore. Right. They were like, okay, we gotta, yeah. we gotta do something. As with long this as guy. he was in Galilee, right. who cares? Right. That's the sticks. Nobody cares about that. But you mess with the money. But you mess, exactly. <laughs> you mess with the money. So he knew that. So, uh, so they've now come together in this little, like, little meeting. John talks about this. This is mm-hmm. before the trial begins. They, 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 the Sanhedrin and the, the, the group comes together. And, uh, and, and the conclusion at the end of this is that, uh, um, uh, high priest says, well, uh, it's, it's, it's couched in these words. Well, uh, it would be better for one man to die than 
for the whole nation to get punished, right? Jesus is a troublemaker, you know, we, we, you know, it's very sad to say, but, you know, people like that get other people hurt. So we just need to do something about it, right? And, and, and it's just That's this like, best Italian yes, I like it. impression. It's, Tom, you can do that. <laughs> You're actually He's Italian. He's actually right? Italian. It's okay. It's okay. It was a good attempt. Um, like, so, you know, there, I mean, it's, it's, it's right. couched in this sort of very, it's kind of a compassionate thing. Real, <laughs> right. like, like real politique. Yes. Right. Yes. Where, where they're like, listen, the guy's got to go. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing, nothing, nothing personal. Right. You know, it's just business. Right. 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 It's just you business. Know. Right. We, 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 we got to get rid of this guy. So there, they, they, so then, then they got their mole right inside. That's mm-hmm. Judas Iscariot, right? Judas comes in, they, they buy him off. He tells them where to be able to find Jesus in the middle of the night because they're trying to do this on the DL. Yeah. They don't want the crowds to know because the crowds actually love him. Right. Right. They were just so waving palms. Right. They were just waving palms <laughs> and calling him the son of David. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now they've captured him in the middle of the night. They bring him in for this trial during the middle of the night. Super shady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Everything about this is super shady, mm-hmm. but they're, they're going through the form of saying, well, they were putting him on trial and such sure. like this. So they, they brought him in and they put him on trial. And, and I want us to sort of, uh, picture the conversation that's happening here. Kind of, uh, uh imagine the scene. Middle of the night. They're there in the temple pre, you know, precincts. In this room with only the people who are there for this sham of a trial, you know, that's being put on. A witch hunt. Yeah. Jesus is 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 being put up on, you know, on, on the stand. You know, he has to respond to all this. And they start bringing in all these people who are going to come in and, and, you know, say things against Jesus, trying to come up with some way to be able to say that he has uh, um, done something wrong. So they have a uh, a charge to lay against him, sure. right? Just a bunch of people lying. So right? yeah, a lot of people are coming in, they're telling stories or at least v- mixed up versions of the stories. It says that their testimonies don't match. People are coming in and saying different things, right. but it doesn't, none, none of it fits together. I mean, it's a sham trial, right? Right. Um, so all of this and Jesus throughout all of this, like they're trying to provoke him too. Right. Sure. And what does Jesus do in the midst of all of this? He says nothing. Yep. He says nothing. He's, mm-hmm. he's silent through the entire thing. So everybody's getting more and more agitated as this is going along. They know what's going to happen at the end. They just need to, you know, expedite the come up, with, come up with a way of doing this. <clears throat> it's getting more and more anxious. Finally, the high priest himself stands up. The room goes silent. He walks up in front of Jesus and says, don't you have anything to say to all of these accusations? Again, trying to get him to say something so they could accuse him. Jesus doesn't say anything. So then he says, I, I command you, I adjure you by the living God. I'm using my full authority as high priest and I, I command you, you have to answer my question. Are you the Messiah. Now, this is a trap, right? right? Because if he says yes. Darned if you do, darned if you do. Right? Yeah. Jesus, for the first time in the entire night, responds and speaks. 
Are you the Messiah? I am. Now that's a loaded I am. <laughs> now that has, that has, you know, an idea of like God speaking and saying, right. I am who right. I am. He says, I am. And of course, at this point, you know, oh, murmurs and rustles and everybody, you know, kind of, uh, uh, kind of getting, and you can almost imagine Caiaphas and there's just sort of like smile on his face where he's like, Smug. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, you, you've, you've admitted to this, right? Like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a hundred ways we can be able to hit you with this, that you, you think you're a messiah. Oh my, you know, for real, we can, we, we've gotten rid of so-called messiahs before, sure. right? Um, but then, you know, you can, even as Caiaphas is sort of like smugly, like turning around and, and going back to his place, uh, Jesus is not finished. No, he's not. <laughs> he says, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, these words to us just sound sort of vaguely scriptural and probably kind of ominous. Mm -hmm. But in the context, the people at the time, especially like a high priest and such like this, would have known exactly what this was pointing towards. This is referencing to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, a vision of nothing else except a trial scene. <gasps> what? Oh my in god! In heaven, by the drama. In it's, heaven, yeah. I am. In yeah. heaven, God is sitting on His throne, and there's all of these the the, the enemies of God, these monsters. These it's in a vision, so there's these kind of monsters things that have all been brought forward, and God is now sitting on His throne, and He's going to offer judgment. And the one who is his chosen servant, the one who will accomplish God's will, the one who is going to be able to bring about the kingdom of God and be able to overthrow his enemies is described as a son of man who is placed at the right hand of God's throne. In this moment, Jesus invokes that image. And he's indicating that he is the son of man. This trial that they are all arrayed against him, he has now flipped around and said, no, God is judging you. And you I think. am sitting on the right hand of the power. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm the I am. I'm the judger. You I'm would the think judge. they I'm would be like, me. oh, my bad. Okay, our bad. You right. know, like if they would have paid attention. It's pride. So, no, yeah. but I mean, again, listen, you don't get to be high priest right. by being a goody-goody boy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or listening to reason. So, Caiaphas, right, smug grin on his face. All of a sudden, Jesus says, no, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power. That's what this trial scene is. Mm. Ice suddenly flowing through <laughs> Caiaphas's veins. He knows what he is. Mm -hmm. He knows what he is. But he also, again, he's a tough. I mean, he's tough. Like you don't get to be high priest, sure. Uh, otherwise, so what does he do? Um, he he turns around. He rips apart. The vestments that he's wearing. This is a, a ritual act called rending of garments. Mm -hmm. 
He rips apart the garments that he's wearing, throws them onto the floor, turns, faces towards Jesus. That is blasphemy, he yep. says. There it goes. And he says, There's his he's worth, this man deserves to die. And everybody starts joining in. Death, mm-hmm. death, death. That's the trial scene before Caiaphas. So interesting because he's presented with the truth mm-hmm. literally in person, but also probably in a way that would have been very convincing to him. Mm-hmm. And he is not converted. No. He doesn't back down. It's right. probably, he's probably like, we're too far gone at this point. It would be too embarrassing to be like, oh, actually, what he's saying makes sense, and oh, he would have to give up his right. power. Yeah, pow- and that's the thing. You have to give up your power. If this is the Messiah, then you have to give up your power. I and mean, we all know that power is not easily... But, yeah, yeah right. but but here's the thing, though. Like, And, and here's the... Really, what's kind of the gut punch yeah. in a lot of this is that, uh, you know, here's Jesus, and like, who are the people that are doing all of this? They're the religious people. They're professional religious people. And I say that Not well aware of name. what I am. <laughs> it's their trade. Yes. Right? right? Exactly. Like, well aware of what I am. Yeah. They're professional religious people. And that's what Jesus was facing as his, in a sense, his greatest opposition. But I think also... I mean, that's part of why he came was to help save us from bad religion, right? So like it was the yeah. true, it's the true religion. Like, right. like this is God's people and it really is. And this is truly the high priest. That's really what he is. Right. But it's gone bad. It's gone so horribly bad. And that's what Jesus, he now has to stand up, not just to save us from the world, but also to save us from religion gone bad. Hmm. Oh. And that's, it's a job only God can do. Right. And that's what I came into this podcast before we pressed play. I was, or record. It was, I was like, Hey, I, I struggled with this because it, it felt as a person who loves the church, this, this exchange felt, um, just kind of raw. Like these are the leaders. These are the people that are leading the faith and Jesus and, and they're condemning they're condemning Jesus. And not only that, but they should know better. They should know these pro- they should know all of this. And still, because they cared so much about their place and their power, they refused. They refused to see. And it just makes me feel like we need we do well to pay attention. Right. Close close attention. Yeah. 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 It's now it's and and uh, let me let me at least simply be able to say this. This is and always has been and always will be the part of the reality of the church, of any religious institution, but of our church as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the, there's the most famous examples of like, you know, the Borgia popes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, who are these like, you know, Renaissance popes who, you know, had, you know, throw these huge rager parties and, and, you know, we're all about people. Yes. corruption and greed and, and, you know, and, and yeah. nepotism and everything yeah. like that. That's the most sort of egregious examples of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that 
and what's being described in the in in this you know kind of the Jewish aristocracy here, mm-hmm. like it feels so similar. Yeah, and and you know we have been. I tell this to people all the time. I tell people, I'm like, guys, we have been like so spoiled about having like good and sometimes even great popes yeah. over the past hundred years. Yeah. That's the anomaly, guys. Right. No, right. that is right. not the norm. Right. To have exactly. saintly popes, that is not the norm. Um, and we should not expect that that's the norm from all of shall we say the professional religious we, we we as much as we need to be on guard against the world the trials here point out yes it's pilot and it's the world but it's also religion gone bad and that jesus is going to stand up in judgment against that mm-hmm. for me drawing out like the spiritual implications of that just this first conversation of the trials it's it's just a constant reminder of like who do i follow mm. Am I Catholic because of Pope Benedict or Pope Frank? No, not necessarily. They add a lot to my experience of Catholicism, but I'm not even a follower of you, Father Matthew. Like you're mm-hmm. my pastor and my boss, but, uh, but I follow Christ. And sometimes more in recent years, <laughs> it seems like Jesus is calling us in religious lifestyles to really uh, rethink Mm -hmm. the way that we're doing things. Mm -hmm. And it challenges us. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think someone said it earlier that he'll stand in opposition if it's, if it's bad, if it's not going. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't just, yeah, you can't just let your guard down on that and think that like, well, you know, well, it says it's Catholic or it's coming from, you know, a Catholic source or something like that. It's like, no, um, there's two trials, right? Right. And, and he's persecuted by religion gone bad and by the world. Mm-hmm. And both of those things, we, we need to be aware of both of those things. Um, so, uh, but let me, uh, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> well, it, it, yes, but it's reality. And right, so right? I, instead of just, yeah, it's reality. Yep. So yeah. I do want to, I do want to shift, um, to another yeah. powerful conversation, the one between Jesus and Pilate. Uh, and cause this one also reveals an important thing. Again, these are ones that we just, we read over and then we don't, you know, but, but to open them up and kind of see the drama of what's going mm-hmm. on with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, what happens after this, right? They've decided at this point that they're going to, that Jesus deserves death, right? And they have, uh, they have from his own lips that he says he's the Messiah, right? And a Messiah is a kind of a, uh, leader, a, a king, right? I mean, that's the idea is that he's the son of David. That's the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he has personally insulted all of them and told them that they are the monsters and that God is the one who's going to be in judgment against them. So it's over. Right. right. They, they over. found their charge that they needed du- to they take found, over to the Romans. They found their charge. Right. And they've also found, um, you know, whatever, whatever qualms that they might have had about doing this to Jesus they're gone. Right. right. They are gone at so this point. They, it is galvanized. It is, it's over. Was now, I right in hearing that if they needed, they needed something, they needed a charge so that the Romans would be able to, perfect. to, to execute like death, death right. because they can't, they can't put, they can't kill Jesus themselves. Right. That would have been against the law. Right. Because the Romans were like, no, that's our job is killing people. <laughs> yeah. 
Jeez. Jeez, guys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and it was against Roman law. It was also against Jewish law. No. Well, in Jewish law, if you had someone who had uh, pronounced blasphemy, yeah. like the high, high priest could be able to, you know, give some sort of judgment against them. Okay. But, but capital punishment right. had been refused by Roman law. Romans said, no, we are the only ones who get to be able to enforce hmm. capital punishment. Interesting. So they had to like funnel him. They had to right, funnel right, him right. to well, and, the Romans. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. They, um, their plan was actually quite simple because, uh, there's this thing in Roman history that Roman history way back several centuries earlier, they had had, uh, kings ruling over the, mm-hmm. the Romans. Um, but then eventually they overthrew the kings. And they established the Roman Republic, right? And, and, you know, the battle cry from that point on was never kings, right? Oh. Never kings. And here comes this king. Right? So. Self-professed. And, and so, so now centuries later, Rome has taken this idea, no kings, never kings. And they've now turned that into an empire that has completely conquered over the entire Mediterranean. And this is their rule. No kings, never kings. Now, they have a few client kings who are out there, but, like, those guys are paying tribute, so they're basically, like, ineffectual... Figureheads. Figureheads. They're, they're not really kings, right? But, like, it's one of these things where it's, like, with Romans... You don't even have to propose, propose like a logical argument to them. You, you just, just have say. to be able to say that guy's a king, and they're like, "Oh, we know what to do with that." <laughs> or he thinks he's a king. <laughs> yeah, right? we'll see about that. So, so they walk up, and, and this is so. It's there's a there's almost an elegance to the simplicity of their plan. They bring Jesus before Pilate, and they say he says he's a Messiah. They don't care about the blasphemy thing. They they can't bring that before Pilate. Pilate wouldn't care. Yeah, but. Um, they, they come and they say, he says he's a messiah. That's a kind of a king. And Pilate's like, you're joking me, right? Like this guy, like he's obviously not a king, right? <laughs> but they keep pushing the point and they say, listen, no, he's setting himself up against Caesar. He's telling the people that they're going to have to choose between him and Caesar. Mm. Uh, if you, if you don't side, you know, if you, if you don't put him to death, right? Then you're no friend of Caesar because mm. Caesar, doesn't have rival kings. That's not how Rome works. Like they're manipulating him. Yeah. They understand, and he yeah. understands that and he knows exactly. He knows exactly right. the game that they're playing, and he's trying to like wriggle his way out of it and stuff like yeah. that. But but they're finally willing to get up there, and they're like, "Listen, we have no king but Caesar." <laughs> These guys, we're on your side. <laughs> we're on your side, right now. Of course, there's a there's a terrible like. Like, God is supposed to be king, right? right? And they are supposed to be waiting for the Messiah. That's the whole point. And so the fact that they have now come straight up to be able to say, compromise on this level of being able to say, well, we have no king but Caesar. Caesar is our king. But it's still just a fraction of the Jewish people doing this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This This is is huge. Please explain this part. There's lots of people that don't know this, I think. Like, it's just a few people bringing him to Pilot, right? So it's it's the Jewish aristocracy, right. right? They've got their little crown. And then there's this whole little episode with Barabbas and that mm-hmm. they could set one prisoner free. Um, and this was supposed to be done by the acclamation of the people. Mm-hmm. Well, but the thing was, everybody knew about this. So they would just pack the group, the the, the little The homies of whoever they wanted to let free. Exactly. Right. That's, that's all that would happen. Yeah. 
So Barabbas was an insurrectionist. And see, this is the thing. Pilate is toying with them. Yeah. He's like, they're like, well, Jesus is in, you know, promoting insurrection. So he pulls out this guy who's like an obvious insurrectionist, somebody who is a terrorist, somebody who has been fighting against Rome. And he puts both him and Jesus up on the stand and he says, well, I'm going to set one of these guys free. Which one is it going to be? Right. Right. Um, and he's sort of thinking like, this is a slam dunk. He's I can just, a little bit. Yeah. I, I can, I can just let them be able to pick Jesus because there's no way that they're going to, uh, pick this guy who's obviously a, you know, uh, a, a societal menace and a troublemaker and, and everything else like that. But the crowd that has been gathered that's is made, made up, up of his, of his guys. Yeah. The crowd that's good is the people that want to see him free. Right. And the also ones, the ones who Jesus, Jesus has insulted mm-hmm. and they want to take him down. Right. So, a, so when it says the crowd of the Jews, where I've always pictured these people who have turned on Jesus, that's not who are, are calling for oh, his Oh, yeah, they probably didn't even know who Jesus was. Right. The people who were cheering for Barabbas. They had no right. idea who he was. This is just... Yeah. Yeah, this isn't like some grand betrayal of the people he had been serving in Galilee right. for all those years. Right. This is This is just... This is just dirty politics. Right. The people who love Jesus probably don't even know this is happening. Oh, yeah. It, it was done entirely in secret. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's just dirty politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what's going on here. Yeah. I'm going to be furious from the, for every every mass from here on end. When I listen to this story, I'm going to be like this. I just can't. Stop on her feet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so there's a, there is, however, this powerful little conversation that happens mm-hmm. between Jesus and Pilate. I'd like to take a moment to like focus in on this. Um, so... <clears throat> So the whole, the whole point of this is they're trying to figure out, like, is he a king? Cause if he is, then Pilate's like, well, then I have to do something about this, right? right? So they bring him in. Pilate's sitting in on his little, you know, Roman, uh, bench that's the, the official, like, bench and, and Jesus is standing there and, and, uh, uh, and, and Pilate speaks to him and he's like, well, are you a king? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, did other people tell you to say that or did you come up with that on your own? And like, and Pilate has, he is, he is done with this. Yeah. He is so done with this. And his response is like, did you not, do you not realize what's going on here? I have authority. I have imperium. I have the power to either set you free or to crucify you. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, man, what is your problem? Like, Jesus is like playing with this. Cut the charade. Yeah. And Jesus responds back and says, authority, power, <laughs> imperium. You would have no power except that it's been given to you from on high. It's like arguing with a super logical person when you like try and say, well, what about this? And they're just like, well, wait, what? <laughs> Your whole argument is baseless because of X, Y, and Z. How annoying. Yes. Jesus knows everything. <laughs> so, you know. You have no power, you right. have, except Imperium, no, no authority, except for the fact that it has been given from on high. And like Pilate is just, he's like, okay, but are you a king? Right. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of the kingdoms of this world. Um, my kingdom if I wanted to, I could have my servants be able to come forward and fight from me. But my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. Is not as the kingdoms of this world. I was like, okay, so you are a king then. Well, 
you have said so, but here's what I say to you. This is my mission. This is why I was sent to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. To which Pilate in the proper response of every kind of politician who's ever lived says truth what's truth <laughs> right yeah yeah what's yeah. the what good is that right right, right. <laughs> um but so it's this kind of strange little exchange here where it seems like they're i mean like you you don't imagine this as being like a trial scene you imagine this as like two sort of like you know uh, guys sitting over like fancy wine, like talking about like having politics and heavy philosophical right. things of truth and stuff like that. Such a strange little conversation that's it happening is. in the it midst really of this. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. There, there is actually a logic to underneath this. Okay. Um, and an importance to what's going on underneath this because Jesus is connecting the idea of power and political power and truth. Okay. This is what he's saying. Because here's the thing. When we look at Rome and its its power, right? Its power is based off from uh what? Well, it's it's military might, right? And uh in a way, it's its version of truth, mm-hmm. right? Um Caesar is lord. Caesar is savior. Caesar is the son of God, right? Caesar brings peace. This is the message that Rome brings to all of the different places. Caesar, br- uh, uh, Rome brings justice, mm-hmm. right? That's the narrative, at least. That's the, that's, that's their propaganda. That's right. their narrative. That's right. what they're saying on this, right? And, you know, to everybody who's, uh, in the correct political party and on the right side of how these things go, yeah. Rome brings peace and prosperity. Everything is wonderful, right? But of course, it's actually built on a lie because all of that wealth and prosperity is built upon war, plunder, and enslavement. Hmm. That's the entire thing, right? It's built upon all of these, these issues. Hmm. And that's... That's why power and truth, Jesus is bringing these two things here together. Um, let, let me, uh, let, let me read here from, uh, uh, from Pope Benedict and his, uh, his reflection on this. Cause again, Pope Benedict, and we have to remember this. This is a guy who lived through a totalitarian right. regime yeah. Right. under the Nazis. He knows right? a thing or two about, yeah. he knows, it to, he knows to a thing or two about politics, yeah. about lies, yep. about propaganda. About mm-hmm. how this thing, because, you know, like, because nobody actually goes in and says, you know what? I know that these are evil SOBs, but I'm supporting them. Like, like, right, <laughs> people right. don't do that. Right. It's only if you believe the lie. Right. That you actually support this. Right. Right. If you believe the lie, then yeah, you can support the Nazis. Mm. You can be able to, to, to get on board with this. So here's, uh, here's, um, Pope Benedict on this. He says, let us say plainly, the unredeemed state of the world consists precisely in the failure to understand the meaning of creation, in the failure to recognize truth. As a result, the rule of pragmatism is imposed by which the strong arm of the powerful 
becomes the god of the world. Yikes. That's Rome. Right. That's every totalitarian. That's every corrupted state and empire that has ever existed. Right. Remember what Jesus said the first, when he first begins his ministry, what's the first words that's coming out of his mouth? The the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. Here at this moment of his trial, right? uh, What do we see? Jesus is going to be put on a cross and there's going to be an inscription above his head that says, Jesus, the king. Jesus, the Nazarene, king of the Jews, right? He's having this discussion with Pilate about what true kingship, power, authority looks like. And he says, "Ah, this is what I came for, to speak truth in the face of these lies. Because the false gods exist when we've lost sight of the truth of the world. And then, uh, what is it? It says here, you know, the, the, the strong arm of pragmatism becomes the new God. So how do we humble people at St. Louis King of France and Austin, Texas? How do we draw from this and not fall in? Because I mean, I would think that there would be sources all over the place, uh, that that would draw us into to not being people of the truth, to not being people of the light, to not how do we not get distracted by all of these powers that are trying to pull us into mm-hmm. how do we know that we are not doing what they all did? Right, right. Um yeah. so how do you know? <laughs> how do you know? Yeah, I know. That's what is truth? Yeah, what is, what truth? is truth? That's a good question. Yeah. Right. So first of all, um, I, I think what we see in Jesus is not necessarily a different, like, uh, like, like that he sets out, um, uh, like an opposing kingdom to Caesar in the same way that people were expecting him to, right? Oh, like right. people were saying, well, he's going to become a new king, and that means that he's going to also build up an army, and he's also going to have a propaganda war, and he's also going to have all of this stuff, right? Um, but in fact, Jesus is very clearly saying, he says, my kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. We're not going to replace the order that is built upon lies and violence with another order that is built upon lies and violence. Yeah. So there's right? some hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, like that's what Jesus is saying. And how is it that Jesus is going to implement this kingdom? Right. Well, he, he's, he, he speaks the truth. He's witness to the truth. Right. And this is who he is. I am the Messiah. Right. This is what is happening. God is giving judgment and saying, you know, this is not right. What you are doing here, this is not right. And he goes to the cross with that, right? Which is to say, 
He's willing to take up whatever is the sacrifice that is necessary to continue to be a witness to truth. Not with violence, not with enforcing it upon other people, but accepting whatever sacrifice is necessary and taking that upon himself so that he can be able to uh, be this witness to truth in the face of power. Now, does that work, right? Does that overthrow, does that make any difference or is that just throwing your life away, right? Mm. Well, I mean, we could look at modern day examples. I mean, take a look at someone like a a Martin Luther King Jr., Right. right? right? Who, yeah, I mean, he took whatever sacrifice was necessary, but like the whole country changed, right? Like, like it, 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 and it can't go back, not to the way that it was, right? Right. right. Um, it, 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 it made a difference, right? Um, you know, there are those who uh, stood up against uh, the, you know, the communist regimes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, one of our big heroes, of course, is John Paul II, right? Who, uh, you know, was able to be there and he would stand up and, I mean, like, you know, how many, how many, uh, 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 you know, legions does, you know, Pope John Paul II have to overthrow, yeah. you know, uh, uh, communism in Poland? And yet when he goes and he spoke truth, right? Um, it, it, it sparked this realization that the people could no longer be able to simply live in the lie that everything's okay. Yeah. And it, it, it sparked this, this, truth that they couldn't that they would not let go of and the entire totalitarian regime could not exist when the people were willing to say this is truth this is who god is this is what humanity is and we will not simply accept the rule of lie and violence so you gotta know it to speak it right because if you're just speaking the lie you're perpetuating the lie so that is so that it's necessary to know the truth. Yeah. And the only way to know the truth is to know Jesus. And not just know about him, but to... to and that kind of goes back to what we talked about last time. Like, we need yeah. to spend time... You can't know him and you cannot know what he stood for if you don't spend time with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're talking and I'm like, well, yeah, but there's lots of people who, who claim their stake and their interpretation of the truth. You mm-hmm. know, there are lots of people who are like, well, but this is how we stand for truth. And a lot of it doesn't necessarily look for like, to me, like Jesus's mm-hmm. version of the truth. So at the very foundational level, how do you make sure that you are standing with Jesus and that you're not standing with the oppressor? Right. No, I think this stands for us as a, as a uh, powerful challenge. I, let me let me say it this way. I don't want to give a simple, neat, easy, and sort of uh, uh, uncomplicated uh, answer to that question because I think this should haunt us. Yeah, yeah. I think this should haunt us that we have to say, "Am I with Jesus on this, mm-hmm. or am I perpetuating the lies that somebody else wants me to tell?" Either religiously or politically. Yeah. Which was these two stories. That's these two stories, both in politics and in religion. I don't want to give a neat and easy answer. Now, I think that it is true that there's the fruit of prayer, 
right? Sure. That comes from this, that when we, when we face that, that we have to be able to go deep within ourselves and be able to say, uh, where am I hearing and experiencing the love of God? And is this thing that I'm doing or saying or participating in or supporting, is that consistent right. with the love of God that I experience when I look upon the cross? Or is it something that when I look upon the cross, I realize, no, what I'm supporting here is not consistent with the love of God. Uh, I think this should, I think this should haunt us. A well, bit. yeah. And I think it especially haunts our millennial generation because we're very skeptical of groups of leaders of people who say that they've got the right way to do things. You know, I mean, the church even, you know, mm -hmm. people are skeptical of groups that have it figured out. Right. Uh, and when you don't know who to follow, you go wayward and that mm -hmm. leads to a life of loss and just lots of confusion and distress. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really important to sit and discern this. Like, what is truth? That's a, that's a <laughs> even, if, even if Pilate was asking it like, you know, sort of snarkily, right. like truth, I've, I make the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a, I think part of him was searching too. Right. And I, I think it helps to go against kind of like a herd mentality of I, the truth is whatever that person, I'm just going to go that way. You know, I think if you're contemplating the truth and you're saying, you're asking, and I think that Father Matthew put it, in a great way. Like you're supposed to wrestle with this. This is mm -hmm. not easy to just be like, yeah, oh, well it's and X, Y, and Z and I'm going to go to bed and wake up in the morning and right, right. that it, that it is easy. haunting. Right. right. And I think, and maybe to give something of a, you know, a, a lighter or more hopeful, hopeful sort yeah. of tone to this. Cause I know oh, that this has been despairing. It's all right. I'm uh, for me anyway. Uh, <laughs> like, well, uh, true. Honestly, yeah. I kind of find this exciting Yeah, where it's yeah. like, yeah. you know, you, you, you finally like feel like you got your feet on the ground a little right. bit. Like, Oh, Okay. It's definitely perspective giving. I don't, I don't have to just sort of like Let's cut go the with fog. the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Cut through the frog and I'm just sort of like, you know, going around. But, but maybe a, a, a hum, a, a, a hopeful way of looking at this would be, uh, to say, um, be humble enough to say, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to say, you know, what am I supposed to do in the world? And, and, and stuff like this. Yeah. Maybe be humble enough to say, maybe I don't know the answer to the big questions that are like international politics right. or something like that, right? Like that I could just be able to stand here from my couch and be able to say, well, let me tell you what's wrong with the world today and how you could be able to fix it. Like have a little humility, yeah. right? right? Um, chances are if you, if you have, you know, your, 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 you know, one step process on how to be able to fix the world. Yeah. No, you're, you're parroting somebody's propaganda. Right. Um, but, but, to, but here's the thing. Start small then. Mm -hmm. Right. Start small. And I think this is, this is real too. Cause we can so easily get caught up in the fantasy of like yeah. fixing the world's problems or something like that. Forget that. No. What about today? What are you doing today? What's the thing that you're doing today? And with that, are you speaking in living truth, the truth of God, the truth of the respect that should be due to every human person? Break it down into what am I doing this afternoon? Can I do something that would be an expression of God's love and of the truth of humanity, right? Start there. 
And maybe if you can figure out what you're going to do this afternoon, then maybe you can figure out what you're going to do for the rest of the week. And then it becomes clearer, right? right. right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I think the hopeful thing would be the humility of being able to say, maybe God should handle the big picture stuff. Yeah. And I shouldn't try to like tackle that all on my own. Um, but then, but then to be able to say, well, but, but there is a reality of the very particular life that God has given to me. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I came to witness to the truth and I will take whatever sacrifice is necessary, even up to the cross to be a witness to that truth. And, and on a small scale, can I follow that same example this morning, this afternoon? I think that's a great way to like bring this passage into our daily lives. There's yeah, this you're right. These passages, there's so much to the trial narratives that like it could go in many ways. Right. It can go in so many But ways. the zooming in has been really, really helpful. Yeah. In a yeah. lot of ways. For sure. Well, thank you. You're Thanks welcome. Yeah. Do you have any other points, Elisa? Oh uh, no. No I'm, wisdom. You're I'm already doing and everything. Yeah, I'm over here. I'm processing over here. I love Big it. time. Well, thank you very much for uh, listening to this week's episode of the Being Church Podcast. Join us next week as we continue to reflect on some Lenten passages. Uh, And just a reminder, you can jump over to our new parish podcast, St. Louis Presents, where Father Matthew will engage this scripture passage um, a little more prayerfully and reflectively. You can add it to your prayer repertoire during Lent. So thanks again for listening. We love you. We're praying for you. And go be church.